And turn, please, in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It does relate to our series from Revelation, taking a look at the individual in the midst of God's plan. Uh, look in your Bibles, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasure of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave these names, uh, them these names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah. He called Abednego. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you this morning for the privilege to come together as the people of God and to worship. We thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that it's true and that it's certain. And we ask for your spirit's help to grasp what you're saying to us, Father, how it applies to the way we live here and now. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The world itself sits in a a delicate balance. Uh, Seismic shifts inside the earth push against the earth's brittle, relatively thin outer layer. When the pressure builds, the rocks break and the earth quakes. Two prominent earthquakes show us how though those vary in impact. Back in January of 2010, uh, an earthquake in Haiti measuring 7.0 on the Richter scale brought widespread devastation. Over 200,000 people died. The infrastructure in Port-au-Prince area was destroyed. Uh, Over a million people were left homeless. Buildings collapsed pancake style and people panicked across the country uh, in a place where there are no real building codes. Just six weeks later, an earthquake struck uh, Chile measuring 8.8 on the Richter scale, which is some 501 times stronger than the earthquake in Haiti. Buildings shook, some were left homeless, and 300 people died. The devastation was far less in Chile where the buildings are built according to uh, earthquake code. In other words, the nation of Chile was far more uh, prepared than Haiti, even for an earthquake 500 times as strong. The death and the damage were proportional to the preparation. Uh, of course, earthquakes can be extremely devastating when there's no proper planning, and, and, and that's our world today. I'm not thinking so much of geographical earthquakes as I am cultural and political earthquakes that are shaking our world. From a global perspective, there's constant pressure and conflict that bubble up in our culture that tends to cause great earthquakes. For instance, there are the battles that Islam's raging on two fronts, really. First, they they battle the future and attempt to stop progress and repress human rights, as they do in Afghanistan. They're fearful of the future, 
of modernity and of, of educated women. They govern by oppression and tyranny. They also fight for world domination. The core Muslim belief is the whole world must submit to uh, Allah. And so Muslim terrorists seek to turn back the clock to the 6th century uh, and bring us down as a nation. Another earthquake the economic turmoil facing the United States and it's mirrored around the world. Food shortages, uh, perhaps brought about by COVID and, and added to by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, are impacting the globe, particularly uh, in places like Africa. While the United States has plenty of food, most of us in the last couple of years have been shocked to go into the grocery store at times and, and see empty shelves. Just nothing we've ever seen in our lifetimes. Uh, likewise, the, the war has further disrupted the world's energy supply. And technology has changed. Now, you may have noticed that in the 20th and 21st century. Telephones used to be on the wall or in a booth someplace. Easy to find. Um, but now they're in your pocket. And you can go around the world and communicate with people everywhere. Uh, that instant exchange of information has changed everything, including social interaction. You know, you think back in 1899, Charles Duell was the United States Patent and Trademark Office Commissioner. You know, he proposed eliminating that office. And he gave the reason of this in 1899. He said, everything that's been invented uh, has been invented. Uh, so... Uh, the capability to, raise, to raise, wage nuclear war, the potential for a nation like Iran to possess uh, nuclear weapons, shakes the political landscape. Uh, political pressure in nations like Iran uh, under Islam or China under communism is a threat to all of us. The unpredictability of a rogue regime like North Korea uh, brings instability to the globe. But cultural and, and political earthquakes are not just global. There are some specific more to the United States. You know, for instance, over the last uh, half century, the decreasing birth rate and the rise of the boomer generation is changing the age makeup of the country. And there's a lot more of us older folks than there used to be out there. Uh, and that has tremendous economic uh, implications for us. We live in a time where people are trying to revise American history, take God and the Christian faith out of its origins. Of course, if you read any of the original documents, if you read the letters and the writings of our founding fathers, uh, it all refutes that, yet we continue down that path. There's been a loss of truth. Not that things are not still true, they are. Rather, people pretend that there's no such thing as truth. It's reached into grammar where people are battling about pronouns. It's reaching the very concept that we are male and female. So the world pretends there's no gender binary and that they, they keep up that silly insistence that men can have babies. Sorry, folks, they can't. I don't know how to break it to you, but I'll just be gentle on that. No man's going to have a baby. All right? Uh, and what lies beyond that distortion is the desire to eliminate Western civilization as we know it. In fact, that's their stated goal. That's not hyperbole. So we have a woman today, this week, declared she's an avian-human hybrid. A cardinal, in fact. Uh, and her partner uh, is, identifies as a blue jay. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, and, of course, they've got their own pronouns. Um, then there's a 20-year-old woman named Sarah Roto. She's in love with Boeing 737s. And she wants to marry a toy replica 
of a Boeing 737. There's no word on her pronouns, by the way. Um, And so the result of all that silliness is a growing hostility towards anybody who believes the truth, and especially the the truth of the gospel. Uh, And so there's a growing intolerance towards Christians. People reject accountability to God. They reject the reality of sin. They reject that Jesus is a Savior that they need. And so they reject the cross. And the vitriolic, profanity-laden reactions of the Supreme Court decision about Dobbs and Roe v. Wade uh, reveal a deep fissure within our, our, our country. It's inside of families. And it's a deep chasm with Jesus and with the Bible and the church. One government advisor this week said the battle really, he said, is to establish a new liberal world order. That's why you have the Loudoun County of Virginia school superintendent speaking this week about their robust plan to indoctrinate students. So how would I sum up these cultural and political earthquakes? I'm going to borrow a line from the great theologian, Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, there's a whole lot of shaking going on, all right? Um, and, and there's no signs of let up anytime soon. And the devastation is more like Haiti than it is like Chile. So what do we do? I mean, we live here in the United States, and that places certain demands on us. But we're also citizens of God's kingdom. So what's our responsibility? And while in Revelation, it's, it's painting for us the big picture of what's happening, the macro view, if you will, here in, in Daniel, we, we get a micro view of how one individual lives in such a world. So let's go to the text and see. Daniel's a young Jewish man who finds himself in a changing world. Back to verses 1 and 2. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. In 605 B.C., Babylon's crown prince, Nebuchadnezzar, led his army into an epic battle of Carchemish against Assyria and Egypt. He defeated both those world powers, and then he turned his sights towards Jerusalem. About that time, his father died, and so Nebuchadnezzar then took the throne. He did march on Jerusalem, and the first of three exiles of Jews to Babylon took place. And Daniel, evidently part of a noble family, probably still a teenager, is part of that first exile. And what stands out in these two verses is the emphasis that Nebuchadnezzar took the sacred objects from the temple. His perspective was that he, his gods had triumphed over Israel's gods and that the triumph showed his might, his power, and his sovereignty over the world. But in our text itself, Nebuchadnezzar's prideful perspective is attacked because it tells us that God himself orchestrated Jerusalem's fall. And Nebuchadnezzar as a world ruler is, is but a pawn in the hand of the sovereign God who rules the universe, as we'll see in uh, Revelation's commentary on this next week. And so Daniel finds himself in a world where everything has changed for him. He's living in a land that does not know Yahweh, Israel's God. 
He's living in a world that blasphemes the true God, a world that does not tolerate his faith. But his message, the message of the books of Daniel and Revelation, is the message that God is winning no matter what our perspective is of the world around us. In Daniel, we get to see various vignettes that remind us that, that God's on the throne in an ever-changing world, even when a cultural earthquake catapults us into a different world. You see, Daniel did not get to pick the time in which he lived and the place that he lived. God's sovereignty is such that he determines when and where we live. Acts 17, 26 he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, most of us are people uh, who were born in the USA sometime in the 20th or 21st centuries. And all of us live here. And the Bible tells us as such we're responsible to be good citizens of this nation. Mark twelve seventeen. In the midst of discussing our responsibilities to the state, Jesus says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. A specific point was what? Pay your taxes. Uh, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 13, Paul reminds us of our responsibilities to the state. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So there's no question but that God calls us to be responsible citizens of the place where he has put us. Now as Christians, of course, we're born again into God's kingdom. Colossians 1.13 describes our changed status. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transfers into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we have a new allegiance to King Jesus. We do not stop being citizens of the United States. But now, as Peter says, we have increased prioritized responsibilities. Remember how Peter and the apostles responded to Jewish leadership when they were told to keep quiet about Jesus. Peter said what? We must obey God rather than men. So given all the turmoil, the change where we live in, we face a temptation. Now, what's that temptation? It's really to take our eyes off the broken world around us and turn our eyes on to Chestnut Mountain. You know, it's tempting to just sit on my back porch where I cannot see another house uh, and I can see deer, chipmunks, squirrels, rabbits, groundhogs, turtles, snakes, blue jays, cardinals, sparrows, wrens, chickadees, uh, finches, hummingbirds, woodpeckers, hawks, an occasional fox coyote or turkey, and sometimes I think, you know, just ought to get my family, bring them all right here, bring my grandchildren here, protect them. It can be very easy to move into a protectionist state of mind. Uh, Keep the world out. But if you read the Bible, it changes all that. Genesis 1. So God created man in his image, image of God, he created him. Male and female created them, and God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over living creature, the living thing that moves on the earth. Acts 1, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Matthew 5. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Daniel could not escape to his backyard and moan and groan for what used to be. Instead, when he was taken into exile, he was chosen for leadership, training by the Babylonians. Back to verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's presence and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So what's this mean for Daniel? He's got to move towards a, a delicate balance of being a Jew in Babylon. A believer in the true God in a land of many false gods. And for us, it's the reality of, of learning what it means both to be an American patriot and a child of the king. Verse 7, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So with new names, the Babylonians are, are hoping to change Daniel and his friends' sense of identity. Uh, since we're now in exile, they're, they're trying to get them to move on from the past. Get on the right side of history. Now, Daniel's not without biblical models on how to deal with this. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all had to learn how to, uh, to, to live uh, the delicate mindset of living in a foreign land. Joseph, too, and he had his name changed there in Egypt. Daniel also knows about the failure of Lot to carry out his responsibilities and what it cost him. The parallel here is that, that God's people are next on Babylon. And they know that they'll be there for 70 years. So they've got to decide. Should they just withdraw and sort of wait it out, just bide their time? I'm sure that's tempting. Or should they just decide to become Babylonians? Might as well get on with it. And then they get this letter from Jeremiah the prophet. And what's he say to them? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on his behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So that letter changes everything. Seek the welfare of the city, pray for it, get involved in life. Even though one day that city is destined for destruction. And see, with praying constantly to God, you keep your identity as the, as the people of God. So how does Daniel implement that? That's really what the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are all about. Uh, we have six stories to illustrate for us how Daniel and his friends lived out their lives, uh, their faith in God, in a pagan land, under three different kings and two nations. 
in the book of Daniel, then closes with six chapters of prophecy about God's sovereignty over all of history. Now, I was going to say we don't have time to cover it all, but you know, without coffee quarter and Sunday school, I've got all the time I need. So just sit back, okay? I don't have to just hit a few highlights. Um, Well, study these six chapters later yourself, all right? Daniel 1, Daniel makes the best of a bad situation. He goes to those in charge, and he demonstrates submissive courage. He shows us the power of humility, which runs through his whole life. Verse 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion to the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your service for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. Now you notice the fear of the eunuch, the government official, and the courage of Daniel to approach him? What a contrast. And Daniel takes that, that same tack throughout the whole rest of the story, and it pays off. And what God honors here is Daniel's attempt to be distinctive in what he eats. God honors Daniel's willingness to be different and take a stand. And Daniel's going to find himself confronting the proud kings of Babylon and Persia. He always demonstrates this humility because he has a, a total dependence on God. And he always acknowledges that dependence before the pagan kings. Daniel refuses to give way to fear. He's different because he stands for truth. And so God gives him extraordinary opportunities. In chapter 2, through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel learns the certainty of God's triumph in history as the rock that becomes a mountain uh, fills the world. And that rock is Jesus Christ. Daniel 3 picks up the story of his friends, uh, his three best friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because of their boldness, uh, they learn the significance of Christ's personal, powerful presence in a crisis when we do not back down. Daniel 4 gives us a perspective of world leaders. Now I want you to note that Nebuchadnezzar is not the exception, uh, but probably the rule in what he says here in Daniel 4 when he proclaims, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And then you remember God brings uh, a mental illness on Nebuchadnezzar to humble him just as he had dreamed and Daniel had warned him. And Daniel did suggest a way out. Verse 27, he said, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing a mercy to the oppressed. There may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. It calls him to repentance. I would point out that, that Daniel has a correct view here of how the church and the state are to relate. Both are instituted by God. Both have their spheres of operation. And the church is required to proclaim righteousness 
to the state and to proclaim the need for repentance. And it's too bad the king did not listen. Daniel 5, we see Daniel demonstrates his courage to proclaim God's judgment on the Babylonians in the famous scene of the handwriting on the wall. Then in Daniel 6, we, we learn Daniel's secret. Not only was Daniel a man certain of God's truth and his identity, with powerful humidity, humility and submissive courage, but he was a man of prayer. When the other jealous government officials wanted to do away with Daniel, they tricked the Persian king now, Darius, and signed a proclamation that forbids prayer to anyone but him. The penalty is to be thrown into the lion's den. So here we see how the people viewed Daniel. That's really how they view us. If we think the world's going to like us, think again. If we think the world's going to tolerate us, think again. Uh, the world hates Jesus and his church. And friends, they do it all the way to the lion's den. So what's Daniel do? He, he practices civil disobedience. Daniel 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. So you know what the result is. He's arrested. He's thrown into the lion's den. And he's got to trust God for his very life. And then we read this. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Friends, prayer both demonstrates and produces humility. It trusts God's power. And our need is to be people of prayer. And we need to pray for our leaders and for our nation as God's word instructs us. Abigail Adams, the wife of the second president, John Adams, uh, wrote a letter to her husband after he'd been inaugurated as president and, and said what she was going to pray for him. Here's what she said. She prayed that the things which make for peace may not be hid from your eyes, and that you may be enabled to discharge your obligations and duties with honor to yourself, with justice and impartiality to your country, and with the satisfaction to the great people. And she said that would be her daily prayer for him. Then when Adams himself moved into the brand new White House after it was completed, here's what he prayed. I pray heaven to bestow the best of blessings on this house and on all that hereafter inhabit it. May none but honest and wise men ever rule under this roof. And that prayer is carved into the mantle in the state dining room. And shortly thereafter, they dedicated the new Capitol building. And at that, Adams also prayed. And he was speaking of the building in the city of Washington, the new district is one. And he said this, prayed this, May this territory be the residence of virtue and happiness. In this city, may that piety and virtue, that wisdom and magnanimity, that constancy and self-government, which adorn the great character whose name it bears, be forever held in veneration. Here and throughout our country, may simple manners, pure morals, and true religion flourish forever. Friends, these are the kinds of prayers that we've got to join in. 
So what about us? You know, patriotism is about more than just uh, occasionally having a warm heart that, that wants to sing patriotic music. Rather, it's, it's the desire that God's rule uh, and God's righteousness would be seen in our nation. Proverbs 14.34 puts it this way. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. May we truly desire that this nation be righteous and make the right decisions and, and pray towards that end. And as we live day by day in the midst of a, a cultural earthquake, we've got to be the salt and light that God's called us to be in, in the political arena, in our community ministry, and in, here within the church. Citizens of, of both kingdoms requires a, a commitment to truth, a commitment to our identity as the people of God, a commitment to put into practice the humility, the courage, and the prayer life of Daniel. I mean, may we be willing to, to put our lives on the line with faithful living, despite fiery furnaces and hungry lions. Why is that? You know, we started the service by singing a great line that our God is quietly sovereign. He's so quietly sovereign that a lot of the world doesn't think he exists. Uh, but there's a whole lot of shaking going on. And here's the words of the prophet from Isaiah. Uh, it's 33. The Lord's exalted, for he dwells on high. And he will fill Zion with right, justice and righteousness. And he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And remember where we're headed. It's where we started today. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we live in precarious times. Father, we live in a time where there's little regard for human life. So, Father, we want to know how you want us to live, Lord, as salt and light. Father, as, as citizens of this nation, but, Father, also as citizens of the kingdom of God, Father, as members of your family. So, God, as we pray, Father, may we be committed to the truth of your word, committed to our identity, first of all, as your children. Father, may people see in us humility. May we exhibit courage. Father, may we have a commitment to pray. Lord, that you might use us, Father, for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, anticipating what you're doing for your name in history. Fathers, may here without hope today because they don't know Christ, Lord, show them your son Jesus. Show them the cross, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.